Market moving insight and analysis. Join Jim Cramer, David Faber, and me, Carl Quintanilla, on the opening bell hour of CNBC Squawk on the Street. Good Friday morning. Welcome to Squawk on the Street. I'm Carl Quintanilla with David Faber and Morgan Brennan, live at Post 9 of the New York Stock Exchange. Kramer's on assignment. The Dow does look to take out the June low today as the selling pressure in Europe is pronounced, down about 2%. Big swings in currencies. Uh, the pound near $1.10. Oil's just 50 cents from a seven handle. Our roadmap begins with the Fed fears fueling this flight to Treasuries. Uh, the two year hits a 15 year high. Goldman takes a big cut to its S&P target. Plus the inflation impact on corporate results. FedEx, well, that remains on watch as it announces cost-cutting and shipping rate hikes. Costco, for its part, says it sees, quote, light at the end of the tunnel. And shares of retail brokerage Robinhood moving lower, giving up all the gains following reports that the SEC would not ban payment for order flow. CEO Vlad Tenev joins us to discuss that and much more in just a few minutes. Let's start with the markets under pressure this morning. Uh, we talked to, we'll talk about some of the swings in currencies and the pound and Liz Truss's economic package. Mm -hmm. But a lot of this got started this morning with Goldman, David Costin, cutting uh, their year-end target to 3,600, 12-month, 4,000. Uh, they're talking a lot about 15 times, uh, 15 times earnings. And it's that P.E. that's come down. B of A, again, echoing what they've said, that a 20th century multiple of about 15 makes more sense than the 21st century of, say, 18. And that means, as they said again today, guys, uh, nibble at uh, 3,600, bite at 3,300, and gorge at 3,000. Uh, yeah, I mean, another 10 to 15% down. Some of the people I'm speaking to sort of continue to see those who have been negative along the entire way, at least, that I've quoted many times, broadly speaking, those so-called hedge fund managers who didn't believe the rally uh, that we had, significant rally we had, obviously, uh, in that July period. Uh, citing what they believe would be lower estimates and they come back mm -hmm. and say look at real rates if you take a look at real rates over the real last month and the correlation between real rates and the market and PEs you do get to a market that is still substantially lower than where we are right now though we do seem to be rapidly moving towards those targets rapidly moving towards those targets and to your point historically speaking if you look at bear markets and an S&P valuation in previous bear markets to your point, we have farther to fall in terms of valuations. 18 times, it's still looking pretty hefty um, in this marketplace. It's, it is pretty incredible to see the moves we are seeing uh, in both bonds and in currencies. As Peter Bookvar over at Bleakley uh, pointed out this morning, you're seeing developed markets where bonds and currencies are concerned swing and move the way you would emerging markets. Uh, and just this violent tremor that's sort of taking, taking the world over as not only the Fed aggressively continues to, tight, to, to hike, uh, but also so many, was it 17 other central banks this week alone? And then, of course, to your point, Carl, the U.K., a fiscal stimulus package that could potentially be more inflationary and uh, is really adding to the fire this morning uh, with so much of the pain radiating out of the U.K. and assets uh, there. Pretty fascinating. Liz Truss really gambling on trickle down, uh, cutting uh, cutting t t taxes, income taxes, uh, the cap on banker comp. A lot of that's going to be financed, uh, obviously, by debt. And that's why that explains sort of what's happened with gilts uh, today. And even uh, just yields across the continent. Uh, German two-year bonds, David, have uh, risen 48 basis points this week. That's incredible. I mean, when you think about, of course, yeah. how long they had negative rates for, Carl, and we sat here talking about negative rates and trying to understand exactly what they meant and the, the idea that you could move up as much as half a percent in a week 
and obviously well in uh, to positive territory. We don't even talk about negative rates any longer. By the way, worth mentioning, of course, foreign markets, we may have showed them already. The FTSE's down about 1.8 percent, uh, and Germany's DAX is down roughly 2 percent uh, at this moment. To your point, it was $18 trillion in negative yielding debt and bonds the world over at the end of 2020. We're now less than $2 trillion. And negative. I mean, that's a huge move in what less than two years. Uh, to your point, I'd also just note that, and you said this at the top of the hour, the Dow right now, where futures are indicated, is poised to open below those June lows. Uh, S and P and Nasdaq are also on watch. They have a little further to fall um, for us to see those levels achieved. But there are economically sensitive areas of the market that have already been flashing these warning signals that we were probably going to test lows. Look at the SMH, uh, the semiconductors, very economically sensitive. They've already come through and closed uh, below their, their June lows. Uh, hat tip to Matt Maley over at Miller Tabak for that one this morning. Uh, the transports as well have been flashing warning signs for a while, which of course brings us to FedEx too, which doubled down yesterday with a lot of analysts pu analyst pushback, but doubled down yesterday uh, on this idea that it is a macro story that is affecting that company. Um, but of course, we do know there are very company-specific things as well. The fact that they're raising rates and raising rates aggressively, shipping rates uh, starting next year, despite the fact that they do have loosening capacity, uh, is pretty, pretty eye-opening, Carl. Uh, yeah, we keep waiting for uh, Amazon or UPS or some other major uh, freight companies to sort of ratify that that view. When FedEx, when one raises the other typically raises the same amount. So if FedEx is raising 6.9%, then it wouldn't be surprising to see UPS uh, implement a similar increase. Um, that being said, here's some sound from the earnings call last night from CEO, new CEO, Raj Subramaniam, uh, very frank about what caught FedEx off guard. What we did not anticipate, to be perfectly honest with you, was the tremendous inflation of costs that hit us squarely last year. And that was what really got us. Uh, and uh, even with that, we, you know, we, we had, uh, you know, tremendous results in fiscal year 22 from, from our EPS perspective. And, uh, but it, we, we absorbed a lot of costs from, from the inflation side of the house. And, um, and then, of course, uh, and, and now that we're dealing with this situation, we, you know, we, we had to build capacity and now we have more capacity than we need. So could we have timed that a little better? I don't know how you could calculate it. It's like, you know, you can't build half a building, can you? Yeah. They're going to take out or looking to take out billions of dollars in costs from their network and, and their systems. BMO this morning said, quote, we sense that we may be in the initial stages of a cyclical downturn and we have limited confidence in the near-term earnings outlook, referring to FedEx. Um, yeah, so Asia, U.S., Europe. Weakness really across the board, according to that company. You know, I, I talked to a, a couple of large shareholders who are uh, obviously disappointed, but they're also still questioning sort of management and some of the basics here. Um, they yeah. wanted more detail on exactly how they missed. And the fact is that they didn't, the lack of specificity that's been provided in terms of at least helping investors understand what it was that FedEx missed in their business that allowed for uh, for this big miss gives them pause on whether they're going to be able to live to deliver on some of the cost cutting that they're talking about so they're mm -hmm. just there's, there seems to be a lack of belief in their ability to execute at this point and obviously we'll see whether they're able to overcome that 
Um, They've been having hiccups for a couple of years now. And yes. it's interesting because it used to be a situation where the FedEx stock chart was the outperformer versus UPS. That has reversed itself for a long time uh, yeah. in, the, in the pandemic. That's right. And yeah. that continues to play out. Also noteworthy were the Costco earnings, which were very different because this is what we're seeing, right? We're seeing a lot of pre-announcements, negative pre-announcements. They're coming from industrial companies. They're coming from chemical companies and materials companies. They're coming from, you know, GE and FedEx. Uh, and the likes, the industrial part of the economy, um, but the consumer-facing part of the economy, economy, at least here in the U.S., still seems to be pretty strong and resilient. Costco, last I checked, was trading lower this morning, but, I mean, they have 14 percent comps, right? And they grew revenue, I think it was 17 percent for the quarter? Yeah, yeah. some of the, the comp numbers we sort of know because of their monthly 15%. reporting. Uh, but they did, they did have some uh, encouraging, at least, color on inflation. Uh, light at the end of the tunnel. Our buyers are seeing a few examples where prices are coming down, starting to see things go in the right direction again. It's fascinating because the underperformers of the last couple days, Macau Gaming, online travel, yeah. airlines, lodging, uh, maybe there's worries about even that wallet shift to travel in, in danger now. And by yeah. the way, oil below 80 today. Oil for the below first 80. time since January. And I will say, anecdotally, at least I am starting to pick up the plans for more layoffs from many companies. Now, you know, we'll see how much they follow through on, but the preparation for cutting costs in anticipation of weakness sort of can have a self-fulfilling effect as well. And there are many companies, at least in my understanding, based on talking to people who advise them on how to approach those kinds of layoffs, they're coming. Coming up after the break, an exclusive with Robin Hoods of Vlad Tenev. Take a look at the pre-market here. Uh, Santoli points out this morning, four of the last five Fridays have been down. And we'll see if this one's any different. Back in a minute. Robinhood rolling out a new benefit that will earn its top-tier members 3% interest on their accounts, at least the cash they have in their accounts. Joining us exclusively to discuss that and reports that the SEC will not ban payment for order flow is Robinhood Markets co-founder and CEO Vlad Tenev. Vlad, good to have you with us uh, this morning. I do want to uh, hear your thoughts or, or get some more details on this 3%, but uh, I'd love to come to this news at least that has not been yet shared by the SEC, but has been reported by a number of news organizations that the SEC will not move to ban payment for order flow. Do you have anything to share on that in terms of your understanding as to whether the SEC has reached that conclusion and or what it might mean for your business? Uh, great to be here. Uh, no, uh, we don't. Um, obviously, nothing definitive has been released. We're, we're on the lookout with everyone, but I do think that it's great news for our customers. Payment for order flow and the business model that we've introduced has really helped uh, establish commission-free trading as the standard. And customers have never had it better uh, for their investments. Um, but what I'm here to talk about, as you mentioned at the beginning of the segment, is we're rolling out a 3% uh, interest rate on cash for Robinhood Gold customers. As you guys know, that's, that's a very high rate, and especially in in times like these where inflation is high and interest rates are are increasing as well banks are paying almost nothing uh, on customer cash so the three percent is 23 times what you would get from a typical bank and we're excited to offer that to robin hood gold members 
Yeah, uh, and Vlad, you've learned well in a short time to how to pivot to what you want to talk about. <laughs> but let's come back to what I wanted to talk about briefly, and then we'll talk more about this 3%. Uh, I, just to make sure, you don't have any understanding in terms of what the SEC may or may not propose, uh, whether there is no ban, but perhaps there's going to be still, you know, uh, a, a bit more that's asked of you in terms of, of this that could crimp uh, margins. Just anything you might be able to share would be helpful. I mean, as we mentioned before, uh, payment for order flow, I think from a business standpoint on equities, was around 9% of our revenue. And you've seen Robinhood continue to diversify and offer more products that offer differentiated value for customers. So not just you know the high interest rate on cash that we're rolling out for gold members today, but things like stock lending that allow customers to earn yield on, uh, on stocks that they're holding in their accounts. Um, so we're continuing, especially in this environment, to diversify our business, diversify our product offerings to make sure yep. customers can generate income and generate passive income even, even when they're not trading. All right, before I hand it over to Morgan and Carl, I will come back and say, all right, how are you, how are you getting to this 3%? Give us the mechanics behind it, why, you're able, why you are able to offer a rate that obviously is far in excess of what anybody's going to get in their checking account or savings account. Yeah, and we're really excited about that. Um, so in particular, what you're seeing now is a lot of the major banks in the U.S., as rates, uh, as rates are increasing, as the Fed is increasing the funds rate, they keep the rates they pass off to customers uh, at close to zero. And they're viewing this as an opportunity to increase their margins at a time when customers are feeling the pain at the pump and, and at the grocery store the most. So what we actually do with, with this cash sweep product is we sweep it to a network of banks so not only are customers getting the high interest on their cash with no cap, but they're also getting 1.5 million in FDIC insurance, which is five times what you would get from a typical bank. And that's because we actually can sweep it to multiple banks and provide you even more protection. So it's really a, a fantastic product and it helps people generate passive income even when they're not investing. Vlad, the fact that we're having this conversation about a product offering around cash, how does it speak to the activity you're seeing across your platform with your users, your customers, uh, so many of which are retail investors who are millennial, are Gen Z, have not necessarily yeah. seen the types of wild moves to the downside we're seeing in the market right now? Yeah, it's, it's a learning experience for, for our customers, for everyone. I mean, nobody could have expected uh, the Fed's moves uh, over the past two years, let's say, with the, the rapid lowering of interest rates at the start of the pandemic and then kind of the rapid increase uh, last year. But from the very beginning, Robinhood has been focused on not just providing tools for people to invest and, and trade, but also uh, we've been excited about this idea of taking uh, interest, which historically has been available, high interest is available to institutions, to high net worth individuals, and passing it down to, to everyone, making everyone benefit from that. And that's that's really what Robinhood is about. It's, it's not just investing and trading, but it's really about taking these great tools of economic opportunity 
and offering them not just to not just to the wealthy but to everyone. Yeah, but where are people actually what are the trends you're seeing? Where are those opportunities actually manifesting right now? I mean, earlier this week, you added more to your cryptocurrency offerings with a stable coin. Um, we're talking about, you know, the interest on cash today. I mean, there's fractional trading. Where are you seeing uh, folks spend most of their time and attention and efforts on your platform? Yeah, I mean, we've got uh, over 23 million customers. So there's, there's a wide disparity of of different things that people like to do on Robinhood. So we've got customers that are first time investors and they're looking to build uh, portfolios. And, you know, even in this time when uh, interest in the in the stock market is, is a little bit lower because people have other concerns, we've got people coming in doing that. We have more active customers who are uh, more sophisticated and they're benefiting from the low cost structure in our crypto and, and options offerings, as well as equities. And then uh, we have customers that are using our newly released cash card product, uh, which allows them to direct deposit their paychecks, auto invest their paycheck and, and earn rewards on, on swipes. So alongside the very competitive 3% interest rate for gold members, we're offering customers a suite of, of experiences and services that put more money in their pockets, regardless of what they'd like to do. So, Vlad, I don't think we've had you on since reports surfaced over the summer about takeover chatter. I mean, your stock's down 90% from the intraday high last summer after you went public. Is M&A on the table for you? Well, we, we feel very confident in our position. We've done a lot to both grow our product suite and control our costs. And we've got uh, about $6 billion on our balance sheet. So we're actually looking to do acquisitions of our own in this environment. We think there's an opportunity to use our capital strategically and, and grow the business. But we feel very confident in our position as, uh, as a company that's standalone, independent, and public. Yeah, and you have a control position in terms of the vote anyway. Um, Vlad, you know, you mentioned uh, cutting costs. Obviously, you've reduced headcount. Uh, I think you also have said you're looking at things like spending on software and cloud hosting. Um, given what we're seeing in the economy right now, is it enough? Do you feel like you're positioned well enough in terms of the cost cuts you've already um, outlined, or is there going to be more to come? We do, uh, and I'm, I'm really proud of the the way the team is put together to to just uh, uh, look at everything, you know, from from our headcount to our expenditure on on technology and software, and, and we've really done tremendous work. And I challenged the team uh, a couple of quarters ago to work to get to adjusted EBITDA profitability by the end of the year. And as you can see, the quarter on quarter trends, um, we're making great progress and. We really love the position that we're in. And despite you know doing all this, we've continued to invest and innovate on behalf of customers, giving them great products like Robinhood Gold, um, and then continuing to, to give them more things to, to benefit even in this difficult environment that we find ourselves navigating. Yeah, and again, back to sort of Morgan's question, this difficult environment that, that you find yourself navigating and that many of your users find themselves navigating. I mean, what are your expectations for use of the platform, how that's going to change, how your client base is going to be impacted by 
frankly, losing potentially a lot of money, as many who own equities are doing right now? Well, I, I, I think that's um, one of the things that we, we do see as an opportunity with rolling out uh, this new 3% interest rate on gold is that, I mean, as you mentioned, it's, it's a very high rate. Uh, it's one that I don't know if I've seen anyone offering that at, at this point. Um, and I think it's just economically rational for them to put their their money in Robinhood, their cash in Robinhood, even if, uh, you know, even while they're not investing, even as they're not ready to start investing yet. So I think that, right. you know, times, times change. The economy has obviously been fluctuating so much even over the past few years with the moves of the Fed. But over the long run, the U.S. markets have been a fantastic source of wealth creation. So I think it's about building products and services that customers can use in every market environment to solve their main financial pain points. Yeah. Uh, Vlad, back to the to the three percent. Just explain. So are you taking their money and putting it in banks that are offering a high yield? How are you generating that three percent? Obviously protecting yourself from any potential losses. Yeah, that's right. So we uh, under the hood, it's it's a cash sweep program. So uh, we have a network of banks that we sweep the funds to. Those banks are paying the interest and we pass that through to customers and Robinhood Gold customers are getting the 3% rate, but all Robinhood customers are actually getting a competitive rate. So if you're non-gold, um, you still qualify for a 1.5% rate. And as I mentioned earlier, um, I think it's actually a better product because you get 1.5 million in FDIC insurance because your money can be swept to five banks. Um, and so you're, you're, you're not only getting the high rate as a customer, but you're getting uh, really fantastic protection on your assets. So Vlad, really quick, when you, when you think about timing, when do we start to see MAUs, equity, option, crypto uh, volumes go positive year on year? I think over the long run, um, as we add more products and services and, and improve the, the core of the offering, uh, you should see those continue to, to increase. And over a long time horizon, obviously, Robinhood has driven great growth in, in users and, and in MAUs as well. Year over year, especially when you're, when you're comparing you know, 2021, which is kind of a unique market environment with 2022, it gets a little bit harder to predict. But everything that Robinhood does is, is for the long term. And, uh, and we're making investments for our customers and for the business to be successful over, over a long period of time. All right, and we'll be checking in with you during that period as well, but appreciate today. Uh, Vlad, thank you. Thank you, guys. Take a look at futures here. Going to be a week open. Uh, oil, 79.79, and just about uh, fewer than 200 points separate the Dow from its June low. Back in a moment. Costco is moving lower in the pre-market, like much of the tape, despite this quarterly beat and a uh, the beat on the top and the bottom line. Operating margins slightly below consensus, impacted by higher costs due in part to inflation and supply chain issues. Uh, some of the uh, upside uh, metrics, membership renewals, 
approaching 91% around the world. And that's uh, the trend there is near some new highs. Yeah, and even as we have seen, and I say this as a Costco member, I have seen those prices rise over the last couple of years pretty dramatically. The fact that they've held steady on the membership prices themselves, I think, uh, you know, speaks to uh, the stickiness of that. And in an inflationary environment where Costco still, you know, you're talking about bulk buying, still attractive, perhaps more attractive to customers right now. Similar conversation, I think, that's been had at Walmart and the likes there. Yeah, Walmart, who has been uh, pretty vocal, David, about the impact of higher prices, forcing some consumers to make tough choices and definitely being cautious on seasonal hiring. Yeah, much more so, as we pointed out, than Target, which plans to hire 100,000 workers. Uh, Walmart coming in at roughly half of that as we enter, really, the holiday season beginning very soon. In fact, some of the, some of the discounting already beginning at this point in more promotional activity. Let's get to the opening bell here and the CNBC real-time exchange at the big board. It is the Nelson Mandela Foundation. And at the NASDAQ, Bren Miller Energy, provider of thermal energy storage systems. Speaking of energy, it's going to be awfully hard to take your eye off crude oil today. Below 79.50 now. A lot of that is going to be tied to global recession fears, but also... Yeah. The dollar uh, index close to 112 as we're getting, watching these currencies outside the world get beat up. That's right. Strong dollar puts pressure on commodities. Uh, and then, uh, to your point, recession fears, are, uh, so that's affecting crude. Copper as well. You've had gold under pressure, which is interesting because you would think that potentially this would be an inflation hedge, a geopolitical hedge, uh, given everything we're seeing the world over, David. Yeah, I know gold is down 9%. The GLD is down 9% for the year, as you point out. Unexpected uh, in, in many ways, given what Morgan just said, as uh, at least it has typically been viewed as an inflation hedge, you would have expected it to have a very good year. That has not been the case. You can take a look at the GLD or the GDX as well, the gold miner index, which also has been uh, been hit uh, and, and uh, underperforming certainly what many might have anticipated, Carl, in terms of the year like we've had so far. Yeah. That's a new low, or the June low for the Dow, I should say, mm -hmm. uh, prior uh, June 17 low was 29.888, so we're below that by about 100 points. S&P needed about 91 points for the June low, or about halfway there. Obviously, breadth is uh, pretty pitiful. Uh, looks like basically a 9 to 1 a down day, although, Morgan, uh, you can't get the VIX above uh, 30 to save your life. Hmm. It's fascinating, right? Uh, <laughs> it's fascinating. Uh, to go back to equities right now, uh, energy is leading the charge down. Uh, all the sectors in the S&P are in the red right now. Um, and just keeping an eye on the Nasdaq, too, just because we've seen we've seen a lot of pain over this year for uh, the tech-heavy Nasdaq. And I think there's an expectation, especially, and we're going to have this conversation a little bit later in the hour, where a name like Apple is concerned uh, and whether the valuations of some of these heavy hitters that continue to be outsized in the market more broadly uh, need to come down, too, um, as we see Treasury rates move higher. Yeah, Apple's going to be one to watch. I mean, ordinarily, we might, David, be talking about Apple Music becoming the new sponsor ah, of the yes. Super Bowl halftime show, uh, replacing Pepsi. That's going to be hard to find room for that today. Uh, I think it, we just did. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, you know, it's interesting that I, Amazon and the NFL sort of comes to mind as well, just when we think about some of the power of these companies and the areas that they've moved into of late. Uh, that had not typically been the case, as you see there, as uh, Carl just told you, of course, uh, 
uh, Apple Music, an important component of their overall um, streaming strategy and subscriber-based uh, strategies, multiple on which you get a higher revenues on which you get a higher multiple, I should say, but Apple shares obviously also down about 1.2% right now. Still well better than the broader S&P yeah. uh, with Apple down about 15%, Morgan, with the S&P now down 22% uh, year to date, and the NASDAQ back down at that more than 30% level uh, down for the year. Uh, so very much approaching some of the June lows. Uh, that there had been hope that we would never see again, given the strength of that uh, that rally. But there was that chorus out there saying we still have not seen really the impact of the of the uh, of the Fed's moves. And then really since Jackson Hole, it's been not a lot of good days here, at least if you're long the market, given how uh, strongly Mr. Powell has talked about attacking inflation mm -hmm. and making it very clear that that was what he was focused on. Yeah, and Steve Leesman reported on this earlier this week as well, right? It's uh, it's not once, it's not twice, it's three times now, essentially, that the Fed has very explicitly said we're going to go the course here with inflation and, you know, at, le at least suggesting to the market or, or strongly suggesting to the market that the Fed is not going to blink. The market seems to be getting its head around that. The two-year yield uh, here in the U.S. really seems to be the key metric to watch right now yes. where equities are concerned and, and just where everything is concerned. Um, and certainly the moves there have been just incredible. Even just this morning in pre-market, the moves higher we were seeing. Uh, and not just in the two-year, but also in the 10-year and the yield curve in general, you've started to see this inverted yield curve. But the, the longer duration Treasury notes, uh, we've seen those yields start to increase pretty meaningfully this week, too. Yeah, two-year got to 4.2 uh, earlier this morning, uh, settling back just a little bit. The B of A sees 4.4 by the end of the year. But the market, David, is not, I mean, they're listening, but they're not in sync with what the Fed is telling you is coming. Mm. And so that's led some to believe this week that when the Fed speak resumes, there's going to be more jawboning. Like, we are serious. We are not joking around. <laughs> We really mean yeah, it. Yeah, I am. How many times do you just actually Lizanne Saunders had a great metric this morning looking at the simplicity of language in the uh, Fed statement and in the Jackson Hole statement, making it simple. It's gotten simpler and simpler over time. You need less of an education to understand right. what the Fed chair is saying. <laughs> right. We are moving rates higher because we do not want inflation to be where it is and we need to stay there. But again, where we end up, the terminal rate, and how long we stay there continues to be one of the key questions in the marketplace. And, you know, to look at that, too, oh, you yeah. really, the, it, it, you know, the parabolic move, and it is not captured by a one-year. It really is when you look at it over time that you get a sense for just how dramatic this has been in terms of the move in the, uh, the two-years. You look at the spread there between the two and the ten, of course, which often does point to uh, possibly, there it is. I mean, yeah. wow. Um, there I, it is. I, the bond market's telling you a recession's coming, right? I mean, we've talked about this in previous years, that when you have an inversion of the yield curve like this, that the bond market is saying that a recession's coming. Right. Same you with, could argue we're already in a right, recession. Right. Same, well, same with LEI. Uh, when you get six months of, of declining LEI, that, very rare to see that outside of a recession. We got that yesterday. Actually, yesterday, J.P. Morgan started to look at banks that are turning more dovish around the world. Uh, Norway was one example. And then Brazil. Uh, held policy steady against our expectation for a final hike. Uh, we think the next move is a 25 basis point cut by June in Brazil. So as, as this Brazil's is working its way bananas. around the world, uh, banks are going to respond. Yeah.
Um, speaking of banks, guys, I did want to come back to, uh, to one particular name that we haven't focused on that much, but it's one for those of us who've been reporting on investment banking for many years. Remember the storied name, First Boston, uh, Wasserstein Perella, of course, building the M&A business there, uh, the acquisition of DLJ along the way, Credit Suisse. Uh, we've talked about it here and there, of course. The Archegos blow up, certainly it was something we focused on for some time, the losses that uh, Credit Suisse accrued as a result of that number of other uh, significant missteps. The bank is undergoing a significant strategic review right now that is very likely to result in significant changes to the way it goes about doing business, particularly here in the U.S. Uh, and I wanted to come back to that in a moment. But there have been a number of stories as well that indicate uh, that um, Credit Suisse is looking to raise more capital. Now, the stock may be down in part, certainly because of overall weakness in the worldwide economy. We've seen what's been going on in the European markets. But it may also be down uh, in part because of this idea that, uh, that they're out there looking for capital. Um, people close to the situation, uh, close to the board, indicate to me that uh, there is no capital raising process ongoing uh, at, uh, at, at, at Credit Suisse at this point. Um, nothing that has been board authorized in any way uh, for that. They have about $80 billion in capital. They're fully uh, in compliance with all their capital ratios. Um, you may see when this strategic plan is fully unveiled, which will be either prior to or on October 27th. That's when the company will release its next earnings report. Uh, you know, you may see and has already been reported, for example, the sale of securitized products. That actually will be a capital releasing event. In other words, you sell a business like that, the capital is held against it, can be released. That's seen as a benefit. But the bigger question that those of us, and many people who know Credit Suisse, is once having been a bulge bracket firm globally, uh, certainly have been asking is, well, what's going to happen to the U.S. Uh, here? You know, you're talking about a company that has a $13 billion overall market value. That's what they spent to buy DLJ. But you're still talking about a trillion-dollar Swiss bank, a wealth management business with $650 billion in assets. But the question, of course, is how do you continue to operate sort of some of these businesses that require you to pay a lot of people to call on the top 200 clients in the world? Um, it's very costly to be in the business, and the capital needed to compete against the likes of Morgan Stanley and Goldman Sachs, well, simply not there at this point. And so there is a widespread belief that whatever they come up with is going to include significant reductions here in the U.S. in terms of their overall business. What that's going to look like, we'll have to wait and see. You're talking about a company with $23 billion overall in revenues, 55,000 people. But trying to have four businesses, uh, given the current capital, given the market cap, given the cost needs, it's simply not doable. Um, you know, Credit Suisse right now's business is sort of similar in size to Jeffrey's, not to Goldman Sachs. And so uh, we'll see what they come up with. But I did want to point that out because there are going to be a lot of rumors between now and when we actually see the plan unveiled. Uh, and certainly one would expect that it is going to involve a significant reduction in a storied firm or the, a storied franchise that included many, many very talented people and still has uh, quite a few. So we'll keep a close eye on that in the next month ahead. But I did want to get out there. In terms of that capital raising right now, sources I'm speaking to who I believe absolutely know what they're talking about, what the plan is say No, absolutely not. Nothing planned at this point. When I hear you talk about significant reduction, I mean, it, the read through there is significant reduction in jobs yes. stateside as well, which yes. goes back to the conversation in the talent pool, earlier. In the talent pool overall. Uh, you simply can't maintain the kind of franchise that they're talking about 
um, given the constraints that they're under, uh, particularly in a period like this as well. So, you know, there's a lot of discussion about the talent pool, what they would need to keep in terms of helping to support as well the wealth management business, because there are certain functions in the investment bank that are that are needed and helpful uh, to a certain extent, sales and trading support. So we'll see what they end up with. I don't want to speculate on that at this point, mm -hmm. but it will most likely be uh, headline producing when, when they finally get there. For a company that has had, it's just, it's rarely missed an opportunity to miss an opportunity. Uh, that's certainly been the case. All right, uh, we're going to keep a close eye, of course, on these markets right now with the S&P down some 1.4%. want to remind you as well, CNBC is delivering alpha returns in person. That's going to be next Wednesday. Jim Cramer and I will be there. We're going to hear what the world's top investors have to say about navigating this market right now. If you want to uh, register, just scan that QR code and you will have done it. Before we had to break, we've talked a lot about bonds. Uh, certainly worth taking another look, though, at how Treasuries are faring this morning. You saw that parabolic move in the two-year when it looked at over a period of time. There it is, 4.152. Uh, and as Carl said, some calls now for it to be as high as 4.4 before the end of this year. We're back after this. Welcome back to Squawk on the Street. Rick Santelli here live at CMEHQ on a wild market day with breaking news. S&P Global PMIs, the manufacturing PMI coming off of the worst level since July of 2020. Well, it rebounded, but only slightly. 51.8, and that's facing in the rearview mirror the 51.5 I alluded to. These are preliminary set, so in a couple of weeks they will change. If we look at the services side, 43.7 was the weakest since May of 2020. That improved to 49.2. And if we look at the composite, 44.6 in the rearview mirror, lightest since May of 2020, rebounding to 49.3. So one out of three is in expansion territory. Obviously, services, the bigger swath of the economy and the composite are not. So there's plenty of room for improvement on a day where the global reset is of giant proportions. Squawk on the Street will return after a short break. Apple trading lower this morning. The stock was the only Dow component in the green. Week to date, now giving back a lot of those gains. Two of its new products are launching today, the new Apple Watch and AirPods. Joining us today, D.A. Davidson's Tom Forte. Uh, talk about how the stock, Tom, might act in a tougher tape. Is it your sense it's going to be a general or a source of funds? Well, I definitely think it's going to be a general. The good news for Apple is that to date, consumers have shown a willingness to have some of their discretionary income go to Apple's products. I also think the good news is for the iPhone 14, uh, they were limited in their ability to get 13 in the hands of consumers on persistent supply chain challenges. Uh, to the extent you see improvement there, the iPhone 14 should outperform the 13. You think they're pricing for a, uh, a troubled consumer? Yes. So, so I think they are, at the same time, they're doing it kind of in an Apple way, which is think of all the things they're doing to enable a consumer to spread the payments for their Apple. Uh, they're, you know, it's actually engaging in their version of buy now, pay later. They have the Goldman credit card, Goldman Sachs credit card that enables you to spread uh, payments over time for the higher priced Apple items. And I think ultimately they're going to mirror what the cable companies did 
which is charge you a bundled uh, monthly rate for hardware and services, and that'll enable them to sell the iPhone for $2,000, not 1000 But Tom, does the valuation of Apple need to come down here? Uh, I don't think so. To the extent that uh, one of the reasons the stock has done so well for an extended period of time is they continue to generate a ton of free cash flow and use a lot of the free cash flow to buy back shares. So I think you're going to continue to see support for the stock. And then again, to the extent that some of their higher margin uh, services efforts continue to do well, uh, I think that could sustain the multiple. I'm going to channel Carl here. You've got Apple sponsoring the Super Bowl halftime show starting in February, taking the mantle from Pepsi, PepsiCo. How big of a deal, how big of a coup is that for Apple? How could that potentially translate into more sales or more business for them? It is a coup. I am nervous. I've written a lot of research on why I think Amazon spending a billion dollars for Thursday Night Football is a money loser. Um, I do think that this is a signature day for Apple with uh, the Yankees playing tonight on Apple and potentially Judge hitting his historic home run. Uh, it's good <laughs> for Apple to sponsor the Super Bowl, but let's. I hope they don't go crazy and get NFL Sunday ticket and uh, follow Amazon down the challenges there. Yeah, uh, that was the first thing I thought of when I saw the, the sponsorship news. Um, although, Tom, Amazon's ratings, 13 million viewers, is up 47% from what the NFL used to do on week two. 13 million viewers, Carl, the way I've been thinking about it is, if there's 200 million people watching Prime Video, that's a 6.5% penetration rate. That means 93.5% aren't watching it, and the 93.5 may not like spending $20 more a year for Prime. So I am concerned. Uh, yeah, it's interesting, though, because, you know, the NFL built the Fox network, for example. I mean, there are, aren't there other benefits that are perhaps harder to quantify for Amazon that shouldn't give you as much concern in terms of what they're spending or, as you pointed out, what Apple may be spending uh, in terms of sponsoring the Super Bowl halftime show? There are definitely benefits, and I think if you want to be very optimistic for Amazon, uh, you can say that it's going to advance their advertising business most of the advertising revenue to date is people like Energizer advertising on their e-commerce platform. So to the extent this extends their video advertising efforts, it could be good. And for Apple, again, I think this is a big night for Apple Sports. And uh, we'll see how it does as far as uh, advancing their services effort, which is higher margin and helps drive the stock. Be fascinating to watch, Tom. Uh, interesting name, obviously, in this environment. That's Tom Forte. Thank you so much. Thank you. Um, Dow's now uh, looking at the lowest levels since November 2020. Let's get to Bob Pisani. Hey, Bob. Uh, good morning. And what I'm watching is uh, 3666. That was the old June 16th low. And we're maybe 30 points away from that. Dow's already, of course, broken below that. Uh, I just want to show you some of the sectors of what's going on, because I think energy is really significant. Brent uh, excuse me, uh, West Texas crude, 78.87. It's been dropping all morning here. Uh, that's We've got to go back to January even before that to get lows like that. So you see the energy sector getting clobbered. And metals and mining are also weak. These are proxies for global growth in general. You see consumer staples, healthcare. These are defensive sectors, understandably holding up a little bit better. Tech down 1.3%. That's about 1%, uh, 123. That's about 1% 
from a new low there. Transports have already broken through the new lows. Hey, speaking of new lows, I just want to show you how we opened on the market today. A 10 to 1 declining to advancing stocks. That's very unusual. You put together a couple of those 10 to 1 declining to advancing days. Often it signals at least some kind of uh, short-term bottom here. 565 new lows. Uh, I saw right at the open. That's about 25% of the New York Stock Exchange uh, listed. That's a pretty high number, a similar number for NASDAQ uh, as well. I just want to again emphasize commodity names, the energy and metals and mining and all. This is true over in London with uh, Glencore, Rio Tinto, all down 4% or 5%. Proxies for global growth. And I want to highlight the U.K. stocks down about 4%. That fiscal stimulus pro program over there not being greeted with open arms. It's the biggest tax cut in half a century. They're going to pay for it by substantially raising the debt levels. And the market has reacted in a way that indicates they are not happy with the inflationary potential aspects of this. So this is sort of the end of an era. Fiscal stimulus program being greeted very negatively by the market because it's perceived to be inflationary. There's the ED. That's what you want to watch. That is the U.K. stocks. That's the ETF for U.K. stocks. And you see uh, that sitting uh, very close to two-year lows. That's a new 52-week low uh, right there. So the problem we're dealing with, and we talked about this all week and talked about it yesterday, particularly here, is the market doesn't know how to price stocks right now because there's a very, very wide range of potential outcomes. The two things that I keep emphasizing matter are what's the earnings and what's the multiple. And nobody knows what the right earnings or multiples should be. So we're expecting... 2023 earnings to be up 8%. But is that right? A lot of people don't believe it. Should it be flat? Or should it be down 20%, which is exactly what you get when you have a very serious recession? That's a very wide range of outcomes. For the earnings multiple, well, we were at 21 in January. We were at 16 in June. What's the right for it now? Historically, it's 15 to 17. In a recession, it can go to 13 to 15. Good heavens, what's the right number? 13, 15, 17, 18, 19? Nobody knows. And David Costin at Goldman, very good market observer, a real professional, acknowledged that today. He came out and said the outlook was unusually murky. And he was talking about inflation, earnings, and valuations, exactly what I was just talking about. So he has 3,600. He lowered the price target. But here's exactly the problem. He had 18 times multiple for the S&P 500. And now he lowered it to 15. Why did he do that? Well, the reason you take a multiple down is when growth contracts, earnings contract, or when real yields, inflation-adjusted yields, which compete with stocks, make stocks less attractive. And Costin said exactly that. Real yields are uh, notably up. And, of course, that makes the stock market notably less attractive on a relative valuation basis. Carl, back to you. Yeah, there is an alternative today. That's uh, right. Bob. Tina is not real anymore. There is no alternative. Uh, there is an alternative. Bob, thanks. Uh, Bob Pisani. When we come back today, uh, some more reaction to the sell-off. Uh, we are below uh, 3,700 3, on the S&P. Dollar index 112. Oil below 79. All Dow stocks are red. You've been listening to the opening bell on CNBC's Squawk on the Street.